Hello, everybody. This is Kim Nicolaitis here broadcasting uh, live, at least today, on May 7th, if you happen to be listening, from Advent Christian Voices, uh, continuing uh, in the little study we've been doing through the Gospel of Luke. And I want to thank you all for joining us, and uh, especially for those who have uh, sent me some comments or or uh, some questions. You know, we love to have questions. And... Uh, you know, we're going through the Gospel of Luke, and uh, we had to spend a few weeks uh, looking at the first few chapters. We're actually still in the first chapter of Luke, and so some people may wonder why we're spending so much time here. But it's just that there's so much in this chapter that it's hard to get through it too quickly. And uh, if you um, really want to understand it... Uh, we just, we're discovering that Luke, one of his qualifications, as we have learned in the past, is that uh, he is quite a theologian of the first rank. And there are a number of implications, <clears throat> a number of implications of the things that he has written that are very controversial in the church today. You know, uh, if we were to look at the way uh, people responded to those uh, things, so uh, that that actually uh, we're pretty commonplace. So today we're continuing in the saga of, I guess you could call it the greatest epic story ever told. And we're at a point in one of the chapters that's sort of filled with mystery and awe and has a very intense, indeed almost unbearable tension as the drama of these scenes uh, begins to unfold. Now we just saw the miraculous appearances of the angel Gabriel in his stunning announcements to Zechariah and Mary uh, of the facts that the time had finally arrived. The times had been fulfilled in great anticipation of the arrival of the Messiah. And now the time had finally come and they were to be the ones through whom his arrival was to, uh, in effect, be mediated. You can only imagine uh, what could possibly have been going uh, through their minds. Of course, Zechariah must have been kicking himself for his refusal to believe and now was experiencing the frustration of being moot, you might say, unable to express himself, although I'm sure quite uh, nonetheless excited at the great prospects, uh, seeing the pregnancy of his wife, Elizabeth, the anticipated arrival of his son, named by the angel already as John, whom we all know as John the Baptist. On the other hand, Mary, uh, well, uh, has also been given some rather startling news, to say the least. You have to understand in the culture of Judaism of that day, we can imagine that it, it must have been the dream of many young Jewish girls to one day become the mother of the Messiah. That would have been the greatest honor for any girl born into that culture. The only hopes, the only po prospects or possibility of their ever attaining any real status or honor in their society would have been entirely due or on account of and through uh, the children, which they may bear or give birth to. So if the child whom they bore became great, they would automatically by default be granted a status, a status, you might say, of honor in their society among the women of Israel. If the child uh, was, you know, a uh, criminal or something or proved deficient in any way, they'd be disgraced. <clears throat> their own honor or opprobrium, whichever the case may be, was always tied to their children. And we can see this later uh, in this uh, one of these Gospels where 
one of the women in the crowd that was observing the miracles of Jesus and hearing the wisdom with which he answered uh, some of the questions, proclaimed in a loud voice, blessed is she who bore you and she who nursed you to Jesus. And you may recall uh, that Jesus responded by saying, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. But that was just something that was part of their culture. Uh, if you uh, recall what we talked about last week, we looked at the announcement of to Mary by Gabriel. And the last thing that he mentioned to her was the fact that her Elizabeth, her, her cousin, rather her near relative, Elizabeth, was now pregnant in her old age and that for the first time. So that was a hint to Mary that she should go and visit her cousin. And the reason for that suggestion was in order to give Mary a little more confirmation uh, that what she had just been told was indeed about to be fulfilled. So maybe I should read that to you from uh, the gospel here in Luke. And I think that starts with um, first chapter, verse 39. This is just, this is a short check section we're going to read here. So in those days, Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Why and why has this happened to me that the mother of my Lord comes to me for as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leaped for joy, and she, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. So I think that's about as much as we'll have time to get through today. But so Mary, we know, was a woman of faith, no question. But that doesn't mean that she was not subjected from time to time to doubts. After all, what he had, she had just been told was uh, that she was about to be used of God in bringing about the greatest miracle of all time, the greatest miracle, the likes of which had never occurred before nor since. In fact, would or could never occur again. There was, in fact, nothing with which to compare the miracle with. It was, you might say, a miracle on the same scale as that of the fiat of creation itself. In fact, it was actually even more miraculous if we understand it correctly. It was totally unprecedented. It was totally unheard of. It was, and it will ever remain unique in the history of the world, in the history of creation itself. So Gabriel was going, not going to fault this young Hebrew girl if uh, she had some doubts. After all, you remember Zechariah, he should have known better. He had studied the scriptures all his life, and yet he was still doubtful that his own wife could even get pregnant at that time in her life. So it wasn't that Mary was weak in her faith. And God doesn't necessarily fault us when our faith is weak um, all the time, at least. But Mary had a strong faith in God. No matter how strong your faith may be, there is always room, nonetheless, for growth. And there's always room for improvement. In Mary's case, this opportunity presented itself in the miraculous conception of her cousin, Elizabeth, whom she could visit for confirmation and for affirmation. She recognized that she was 
uh, in need of that, and she heeded the angel's encouraging instructions by making haste to go and visit her cousin, who, by the way, lived some 70 or 80 miles to her south. And in that day, that would be a three or four day journey easily. Doesn't really say whether she went by herself or she was accompanied possibly by a brother or a close friend. And this wasn't something you would, might expect a young a girl or a very young woman or anyone who lived in that area for, the matter, for that matter to be in the habit of doing, that is to be going on these trips at the spur of the moment. Such a trip at that time and in that area, and certainly by this young woman, was certainly not without its hazards and dangers from both man and beast alike for anyone, let alone a young girl such as she was. But that danger was apparently not going to deter her, and uh, that was because she felt this imperative need to have Gabriel's prophecy about her confirmed. You know, they didn't have email or telephone or telegraph, and postal service was notoriously unreliable. So we can be pretty sure that this was the first time Mary heard about her cousin's condition of being with child, despite its being six months already. So this was wonderful news for her, which I'm sure she would have been tempted to share if she didn't share with her parents, just so they would know about it as well. And also because that was the reason for her to make the trip and that visit to find out for sure. So seeing Elizabeth and hearing about what had happened in her life would provide certainly some of the confirmation she needed for that. But I suspect it may have been somewhat difficult trying to explain to her parents how she knew about this, you know, uh, young women uh, of her age at that time until they were married were still under the care, the responsibility and the authority of their parents, especially her father. The father's name, by the way, was, was uh, Heli, uh, which is simply a Hellenized version of the name Eli, uh, meaning El is my God, you could say, or simply God of mine, because El means God, or I am God's. It's actually a very beautiful name, only though we only find it one other time used in the scriptures. And on that occasion, it refers to Eli, the priest, in the time of Samuel, who failed to discipline his sons. That's what we know him for best, because his sons were abusing the rights they had as priests in their administration of the sacrificial system of the time there. And hence, uh, they became, and Eli himself, you could say, became disciplined um, by God in the future as a result of that, having their progeny ultimately cut off from being in the priesthood. But Eli was also known for uh, the prayer of blessing that he conferred upon Hannah. He prayed that Hannah would have her own prayer. She actually didn't know what the prayer was, but Hannah's own prayer answered. And Hannah's prayer at that time was that God would open her womb because she was barren. And not only did God open her womb, but he honored her with the title that would uh, one day be known throughout Israel as being the mother of one of the greatest prophets that ever lived in, in the formative, indeed, uh, the years, the entire history of the, the nation of Israel. And that was the prophet Samuel. 
was the answer to that prayer of Hannah? And was it the same one with whom God actually spoke directly to from the time he was just a young child? Not only was Samuel a prophet of Israel, but he actually led Israel in the same manner or role, you might say, as would a king before Israel even had a king. He was Israel's mediator to God. It was Samuel who anointed the first actual king of Israel when the people clamored for one. And uh, not only did he install their first king, but he also announced his removal or his dethronement because Saul, the king he installed, tried to usurp the authority of the priest. And then Samuel anointed the second one to take his place, David, um, demonstrating that power and authority in Israel actually comes from God and God alone. So Hannah's son could be said to have been one of the, the one who re- wielded the real power in Israel. And as such, he was a prototype of the Messiah being personally anointed as a prophet and a priest before God, although not himself even directly in the lineage of Levi. And while perhaps not being personally anointed as king, he filled the role of king. Substantially was the one through whom both of Israel's first two kings were anointed and installed. No one would ever again fulfill such an honored role in the establishment of the nation of Israel as a kingdom until the one true Messiah would finally arrive, who would be the son of Mary. So we shouldn't be surprised to find that there's some very interesting parallels between the experience of Hannah and that of Mary. We find that Mary not only a woman of faith, but she had already hidden the word of God in her heart. She's a woman of the word. And if not quoting directly from Hannah's psalm of jubilation, she certainly paraphrases its content in her own spontaneous song of praise, which we all know as Mary's Magnificat. It was, in fact, the song of Hannah that we find the very first explicit reference to the Messiah in the Bible as Messiah, that is. Both Hannah and Mary's songs exulted in the justice of God and were prophetic of the means by which that justice would be ultimately dispensed. That is, it would be dispensed through the Messiah. So that brings us back to Heli, Mary's father. We don't know too much else about him except that he, other than being in the lineage of Judah, they were also from Nazareth. And uh, so it's a good bet that they were in the similar line of work as was Joseph Jesus' earthly father, and that is they were probably artisans or craftsmen in the building industry, since uh, there was a great demand, or good demand at least, for that service then in the nearby and much larger and growing city by now of Sepphoris, which many of the elites of the Roman occupation were setting up their new residences so that they could administer the new authority that was given to them over this territory. That's something, by the way, that we've just recently discovered through some archaeological exposition excavations going on there. So the question we have before us now is, how is Mary going to get her father's permission and blessing to go? Excuse me. Um, were we to speculate that she actually told her parents that she heard that Elizabeth was expecting, then the question would arise as to, How could she explain to her parents where it was? She heard this news, and that would present to her somewhat of a quandary, wouldn't wouldn't it? (laughs) She'd never be be able to convince them that she was visited by an angel just to tell her they were to believe that 
that's information, you know, <laughs> she has a special contact with heaven. If they were to believe that in the first place. So, I mean, it's been after over 400 years since, since anything like that even happened in Israel. And if she tried to tell them the real reason for her angelic visitation, that would have been a pretty hard sell, no matter how much uh, her parents may have thought of her. I mean, really. Dad, you're not going to believe this, but I just got this message from an angel to tell me that I'm going to be impregnated through the process of immaculate conception by the Holy Spirit to bear the Son of God. So I'm sure Mary must have contemplated what type of response she could expect from her parents by trying to explain that to them. Hopefully, I think she would realize they'd never believe such a story, regardless of how true it may be. And she can hardly believe it herself. So she found herself in quite a dilemma for such a young girl, and I can imagine she would have avoided saying anything of the sort, which could only lead to her having her very sanity question, really. So I'm sure she must have told them that she wanted to go to visit her cousin and probably would dare say no more than just to say in order to see how they were doing. In any case, if anyone ever tries to tell you that God doesn't have a sense of humor, all you have to do is point them to this particular passage. You know, the Bible says that God sits on his throne and he laughs, as you can imagine. When these events were transpiring, he wasn't the only one in heaven laughing. I would imagine uh, that they were just rolling in the aisles. That is, the angels currently are up there. Jesus said the angels celebrate when they see anyone um, saved. So I imagine they were having a celebration at this. So back to the ongoing saga here. Nothing's able to keep Mary from visiting Elizabeth in any case. So off she goes. And as fearful as that undertaking may be, uh, or it might be for anyone, I suppose, in her situation. Situation was nothing in comparison to the prospects of becoming an unwed mother in Israel at that time, no matter who your child may be thought to be. So she was obviously courageous, but that courage uh, was probably inspired in large part by her faith. I'm sure she didn't think of herself as being courageous. So Mary arrives at Zechariah's house. She goes in, and she greets her cousin Elizabeth. Greetings, by the way, in Near Eastern cultures haven't changed that much. If you go there today, the typical greeting, because they speak in Arab, is Eshalam Aleikum, which means simply, may God's peace be upon you. And the response is always Aleikum Eshalama, which means may it be upon you as well. This is really no different from what we see in the Bible, which is spelled out on a few occasions. For instance, when David sent his men to visit the landlord of some property, where he'd been uh, hiding out when he was on the lamb, he instructed them in the manner of greeting they were to make. They were to say, may God's peace be upon you and upon your house and upon all that you own. And that particular greeting apparently didn't impress this uh, landlord because of his response. So it wasn't out of the ordinary. Here in Hawaii, we say aloha, which simply means peace and prosperity and love. So whatever it was that Mary said to Elizabeth, we can imagine it was something along those lines. But whatever it was, it was apparently sufficient for the baby, John the Baptist, to have heard it and recognized its author as the mother of Jesus, even though he was still within the womb of his mother, Elizabeth. 
So you have to ask yourself the question, how is that possible? Well, it's certainly not humanly possible, but the Bible says that John would be filled with the Holy Spirit even from the time he was within his mother's womb. So the infant John was unable to speak with his mouth, obviously, at that time, but whose major mission in life is to be the forerunner of the Messiah and to point others to him. That's going to be his main job, to tell people who the Messiah is. And he's apparently already at work in the sense uh, that he actually is the only person, the only person he's able to communicate with at that time directly is his mother. And the means by which he does that is apparently through his acrobatic skills in the womb. And being filled with the Holy Spirit, he exercises that anointing through the mother, Elizabeth, who's carrying him at the time. Hence, while there's no other explanation as to how Elizabeth could possibly know about Mary's own condition or about the child which has just been conceived in her womb, other than through a supernatural revelation. You have to recall, this is when she just gets there. They don't have time to say anything. She just gives a greeting. That's all. So that revelation, apparently, she had received is now expressed through the prophetic utterance, which comes via the lips of Elizabeth. And I'm sure Elizabeth was just as surprised as any by the words that came out of her own mouth at that moment. But it was just the thing Mary needed to hear. And uh, it was also the thing Elizabeth apparently needed to hear to help her as well to believe it when Mary actually did have time to tell her the story. Because even though the miracle of Elizabeth's conception was indeed a miracle, <clears throat> it was not really in the same category as the miracle in Mary's life. So we can be sure that this is a perfect example of a divine spiritual prophetic utterance. Elizabeth is simply yielding her members at that moment in time, her throat, her vocal cords and lips to the divine operation of the Holy Spirit. And from this utterance is it's not only Mary that gets all the confirmation she needs about the truth of Gabriel's message, through her, but we do as well. With it, we get some pretty good advice to boot. Were we to ask the question here, how did Luke get all this information to record for us? He wasn't there, obviously. Did the Holy Spirit just reveal it to him as he was writing? I very much doubt that. That's not how the Holy Spirit normally operates. In fact, Luke tells us himself at the beginning of this chapter that he spoke directly to the eyewitnesses. In this case, we can be pretty sure that Luke paid a visit to one very special eyewitness who was, in fact, Jesus' mother, Mary. She was said, after all, to have lived with, uh, after Jesus' ascension, to have lived with the apostle. Tradition has it he lived, she lived with the apostle John, who had relocated in his later years to a region, what is now known as Western Turkey. And there's a traditional site, I believe, for the house where they lived before that he, would, he was exiled to the island of Patmos. And maybe I'll get to see it someday. I haven't been there personally. But we know that Luke was quite familiar with that area, having traveled through it with Paul on his missionary journeys. And we can surmise that while Luke was researching the material for his gospel, he paid Mary a visit. And Mary certainly would never have forgotten the words which Elizabeth spoke to her on that occasion. I'm sure they were probably burned into her brain, and she readily relayed them to Luke 
as well as, I suppose, her own words in which she responded subsequently, which we now know as her Magnificat. But on the occasion of Mary's visit, it would have been impossible for Elizabeth to have known these things without the supernatural assistance of the Holy Spirit. And so that divine assistance was provided, which in turn helped to convince Mary of its truth. And it was not until after these greetings uh, that they would have the opportunity, Mary and Elizabeth, to have more of an extended conversation with each other, to relay in more detail all the things that they had personally experienced and heard in regard to Gabriel's visit and the precise messages that he gave uh, to both Zechariah and Mary. And of course, the very visible by then physical evidence of Elizabeth's own pregnancy reinforced everything that was happening. And we can imagine as well that with the help of Zechariah, the three of them spent much of those three months, three months together going through the scriptures and reviewing the uh, many prophecies contained therein concerning the Messiah, as well as the forerunner. Wonderful prophecies, such as those in Isaiah, which states that the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which by the name, way means God with us. And just a couple chapters later, we, we read that, for a child is born, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Surely they would have been well aware of these sacred texts and they would have had access to them, especially since Zechariah was a priest. It was his job to know them and to teach them as well as the entire Old Testament to the people of Israel. That must have made it that much more frustrating to Zechariah during this time that Mary was visiting them because of all the things I'm sure he wanted to explain about these scriptures, which was which was he was learning, I'm sure, as well. I'm sure he probably did a lot of writing on tablets trying to express himself and answer any questions they may have. He probably developed a few of those muscles in his hands and arms used for writing more than he ever would have imagined. But to be sure, we can expect that Mary had lots of questions. And the biggest one really was, was this really God Almighty whom she was carrying in her womb? So not only did she get confirmation of the message she received from Gabriel, she got an education during that time, which would have motivated her, I believe, to continue in her study of the scriptures with a an abundant supply of enthusiasm. Elizabeth's response, by the way, at the prompting of the Holy Spirit, was simply to pronounce several blessings, first on Mary as she was the mother of her Lord, or on the fruit, second on the fruit of her womb, that is the child she, she's bearing. Thirdly, on herself for having the privilege of being graced with their presence, and finally on all who will simply believe the truth of what God is doing in their midst. The text says she used a loud voice in pronouncing these blessings, not simply because her husband's muteness may have led her to believe she was also deaf or he was also deaf or hard of hearing, which was not necessarily the case. She could hear perfectly well. 
Sometimes we raise our voices out of surprise. Elizabeth was probably surprised to see her very young cousin arriving at the door without any advance notice of her coming. I'm sure she was also elated to see her, and especially after hearing the Spirit prompted words coming out of her own mouth. Since this was a Spirit-inspired utterance given by Mary, we can also be confident that the Spirit elevated the volume at the same time. And the reason for that is not just to make sure your attention is riveted to what she is saying and that you'll not be able to miss it or misunderstanding it, but also to emphasize its importance. The most important part of which being the last blessing there, which was upon all who would only but believe. That part is crucially important. Whether or not you choose to believe the truth of this message will determine your entire destiny. It will determine whether you or, or whether you will not even have an eternal destiny. It will determine everything ultimately for, for you and about you. Indeed, there is nothing absolutely more important than for you to believe this message. But again, that is and will always be within the purview of your choice, your will. But please remember, it is impossible for you not to choose at this point one way or the other. So may you choose wisely. And uh, since I'm coming to the close of my message today, I, I thought it would be a good idea to just pray for you guys who are listening. Father, we thank you. You were uh, willing to use these women and especially Mary to bring your son into the world that you've left this record for us to establish it's a tr truth. We're thankful that Mary was willing to obey you to give up everything and trusting you in this matter as an example to us as well. And that you were willing to send your son into the world and that he was willing to come into it despite the cost that would be incurred in that endeavor. We thank you for all who may listen to and respond to this message as well. We pray that you would help us to understand that now the opportunity that we have to respond with faith and to do so by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you may receive all the praise and the glory and the honor thanksgiving that are your due. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, this is Kim Nicolaides signing off with Advent Christian Voices here in Honolulu. God bless you all.